Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the director of Church Partnership Evangelism, and I'm your Bible teacher. If you wish to learn more about our work to raise up evangelists and church planters around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our church here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In the Gospel of John, we discover that two years before Christ's crucifixion, he indicates that he knows who it is that will betray him. And in that indication, Christ was offering an opportunity for Judas to be honest with him regarding his doubts and his struggles. We'll never know what difference it would have made if Judas had responded with truthfulness to Jesus and trusted his Lord with the struggles of his heart before he came to betray him. God knows already our sin. God knows what's in our heart. God knows what we've done. But God wants us to be honest before him. God wants us to open our lives before him. What would have happened with Judas if Judas would have only been honest with Jesus, if he'd only shared with him his doubts and revealed to him what he was working so hard to conceal? You know, it takes an act of faith to be honest with God. Did you know that? It takes an act of faith to be real before God because faith believes that God is powerful enough to change the forces of our own fears and our own doubts and our own trials and our own difficulties. You understand this? We have fears and we have doubts and we have trials and we have weaknesses. And we go before God and we try to conceal them and hide them. But the reason we do it is because we do not believe that God is greater than our fears and our trials and our doubts and our difficulties. It takes an act of faith in believing that God is greater than all these things. That God knows these things. And because God knows these things, God knows what to do with them. But Judas was not one who had faith. This is the one thing we can identify in his life. He was faithless. And so Judas remained a fake, a facade, a sham, an unreal follower of Christ. And in the melodrama, maybe Judas believed he was really being faithful. Maybe Judas believed his own lies. I don't know what this says to you or how this ministers to you, but I find it a tremendous relief when I know that God knows. There are times in our children's life when our children do things that they shouldn't do. We are aware of it, and we know what they've done. Or the time comes about when we discover what they've done, and we confront them. And I can think on different occasions, and I can think on occasions in my own life when the moment came out that they understood that we knew or I understood that my parents knew something I had done. What a wonderful, cathartic moment it was. Our children's response was something like, oh, I, I was just waiting for you to find out. Oh, I wanted you to know. That wonderful moment when they know and then everything can be confessed and everything can be brought out in the open and what cleansing comes and what help and what forgiveness rolls over them and what forgiveness rolled over me when I was able to confess something I'd done wrong, some offense that I had against my parents. Folks, God knows everything in our heart. The moment comes in our sin that we try to conceal from ourselves and conceal from Him that God knows and, and what a comfort it is to know that He knows. Because He knows all that is in me, He also knows everything that is necessary to bring my life to victory, to make me complete. Because He knows all, there's nothing to inhibit me, nothing to keep me from being honest and real before Him and allow Him to touch and work in my life in every way that He wants to work. 
one of the great passages of Scripture for me is the moment in which Jesus is talking to Peter in John chapter 21. And Peter has denied Christ three times, and Christ has risen from the grave, and Christ now has met with the disciples over a period of time, and he's been ministering to them and teaching them, but Peter has to feel some doubt about his own abilities. Peter has to be uncertain about his own powers. Peter has to wonder whether he can really follow through and serve Christ. And Christ says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says to Peter again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus says to him a third time, it says, Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? The Bible says Peter was grieved in his spirit because he asked him three times, do you love me? And the Bible says Peter said to him, Lord, this is a wonderful healing moment in the life of Peter. Listen, he said, Lord, you know all things. I don't know myself. I don't know everything that's going on in my heart. I don't know all the deceit. The heart is so deceitful and desperately wicked. I've seen the impurity of my motives, Lord. I've seen my failures. I've seen my lack of ability. But Lord, you know all things. You know me. You know me. And Lord, you know I love you. What a moment of realization for Peter himself. What a positive moment of him stepping forward into a deeper walk with Christ when he knew that Christ knew and he was able to say it. And it is for us as well. Jesus knew everything that was in the heart of Judas. If only Judas knew it. If only Judas could have accepted it. If only Judas could have been honest before him. What might have happened? What changes might have occurred? Let's go on here for a second though and understand something. That even though Jesus knew everything that was in the heart of Judas, Jesus does not exclude Judas from the grace of the ministry that he is carrying out and the grace of his own presence. It seems clear from Scripture, if you understand the chronology, that two years after the point at which Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 6, revealing that he knows what is in the heart of Judas, Judas continued to play a role in the band of the disciples. And during that time, Judas was again commissioned and gone out with the 12 disciples, along with 58 others, making 70 that went out preaching the gospel and healing other individuals. And Judas was a part of the band that went about and prayed with Jesus and walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and disputed among themselves who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And Judas was a part of all of this. And during all this time, there's no indication that the disciples began to realize that there was a rift developing between Judas and Jesus. You know, there's no record of a conversation where one of the disciples said, hey, you know, is there something going on between Judas and Jesus here? I mean, you know, Jesus seems to be avoiding him. I, I, he, he just seems to hold him in contempt at times. At least he's kind of dismissive of him. Is, it, is there some tension here that we're not aware of? Is something going on? No. No, they didn't see anything like that. Why? Because Jesus continued to pour grace upon Judas's life. Jesus continued to allow Judas to be a part of his train. Jesus continued to consider Judas an equal among the twelve. What a tremendous demonstration of the grace of God. He knows the heart of men. He knows those who will choose him and those who will refuse him. He knows those who will bow before him and those who will thrust an angry fist in his face. He knows the pathway of the just and the unjust, and yet the Bible says that God causes the rain, that's a good thing, to fall on the just and the unjust. That God pours out His goodness upon all men in order to lead all men by His goodness to repentance. That God continues to liberally pour out His grace upon the individual who is set in his heart to leave him. You know the story of the prodigal son who left his father 
and abandoned his father and demanded from his father the inheritance that he may run away and spend it in sin and spend it on his own wanton desires. The father is to be an image or a picture of God the father. And the interesting thing is this. The father gave his son that inheritance. He didn't withhold it from him. He knew that he'd abuse it. He knew that he'd use it for sinful purposes. He knew that he'd distort the things that God would give him. But the father still gave to his son those, that inheritance. And so it is with God. In spite of what we'll do with things, in spite of the way we'll turn from God, in spite of our attitudes towards him, God continues to pour his goodness out upon us. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, we see Jesus weeping as he rides upon the young donkey or the foal of a donkey over Jerusalem. And he says of Jerusalem, this nation, this city that has been guilty of putting to death the prophets, and in a few short days will be crying out that Christ would be put to death as well. Jesus says to him, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you under my wings like a hen would gather chicks, but you would not. And don't you understand that Jesus had the same impulse of mercy and grace and love towards Judas as well? And Jesus would have gathered him and brought him unto himself. And Jesus would have loved him and ministered to him. And even though Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, Jesus still poured out his grace upon Judas. And no one could tell that he was discriminating against him based upon what Jesus knew he was going to do. The fact is that at the last meal, Jesus took all of the disciples, wrapped a robe around him, and he went and he washed all of the 12 disciples' feet, including Judas. And then he was teaching a lesson. Peter said, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Jesus said, Peter, if I can't wash your feet, then uh, I can't have a part in your life. Peter said, well, then, Lord, wash my head and my hands. I mean, give me a bath. Jesus said, no, Peter, you only need to have a bath once, but periodically I need to be able to wash your feet. How true it is, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we get the bath, we're washed, we're made completely clean, but every day I like to go to bed with my feet clean. I like to go before Jesus and have Him come and cleanse me of the sin and the residue of sin that builds up around my life. This is the type of thing that Jesus was teaching the disciples, and He made the message available to Judas as well. Judas, cleansing can be yours. A washing can be yours as well. What a wonderful thing Christ did for Judas. And what a wonderful thing Christ does for us that in spite of our acts of thievery that go on periodically in our walk with Christ and our drawing back from Him, He lets us graciously remain in His band. He keeps us near to Himself. He's always willing to wash our feet. One last thing we see here, and we'll draw our conclusion. The final thing we ought to recognize here is not only did Jesus know everything that was in Judas's heart, and not only did Jesus continue in the spite of this to treat Judas with grace and mercy and goodness, seeking to bring him to repentance, but finally we see that in all of this, Jesus was all along the way putting up road signs and warnings to Judas in order that Judas might recognize what he was about to do, in order to tip his hand and say, Judas, I know what's going on, in order that Judas may come to himself and that he may turn away from this action, that he repent and turn back to Christ. There is this fatalistic idea that Judas had no other option but to go on denying Christ and betraying him. But this is a denial of the free will that God gives to every man. You understand something? Judas was still a free will agent. Some have suggested that the reason that Jesus gave warning signs before the disciples and he pronounced his woes upon the one who would betray him was that Jesus was simply trying to show his own prowess at being able to show people what he knew. In other words, Jesus was just demonstrating to him, hey guys, I just want you to know I know what's going to happen. He's just preparing them. He's just kind of building a sense of tension so that when it's all done, they can look back and say, wow, what a trick. Jesus knew it all along. 
Or other people say the reason that Jesus did this was that Jesus was somehow trying to demonstrate and he wanted in retrospect the disciples to look back and see that Jesus was sovereign all along, that he was in control of everything that was going on, that somehow this didn't catch Jesus by unawares, but that somehow that he had a handle on this situation. And it's true. Folks, Jesus did know. And Jesus did have a handle on the situation. But Jesus didn't say these words in this tone of voice. This is how it would read if you read them right. I have chosen you twelve, but one of you is a devil. The one sitting here tonight will betray me. The one who dips in the sop with me will betray me. But woe the one who would betray me. It would be better for him that he'd be never been born. No. You can't read those words and read them with that kind of inflection in Christ's voice. Some such in which Jesus was just trying to demonstrate his own powers, demonstrate his own prerogatives, his own knowledge. No, when you read the account of Christ stating these warnings and these woes, you cannot read anything into it but sorrow and sadness and grief. Jesus knew all that was in Judas' heart, and he loved him, and he offered Judas multiple opportunities to confess what was there, a confession that would have received a response of forgiveness and cleansing and stayed his advance into betrayal. The last opportunity that Jesus gave Judas was in the garden as Judas kissed him, assigned to the soldiers of who they should apprehend. The Lord asked, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? We want to say, Judas, say yes. Tell him yes. He's offering you one last chance of confession and forgiveness. It didn't come to Judas. May it come to you. This has been the Bread of Life. To learn more about us, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.